Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Well, let's turn to Revelation 22, verse 1, and we'll see where it's going to take us. As any highway, it begins at a certain spot and ends at a certain spot. So let's just see where this highway that we're on tonight is going to take us. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, wait a minute. I thought we was in eternity. What are we doing still counting months? Good question, but I ain't going to give you the answer. <laughs> Yielded her fruit, not now anyway, every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants, notice, throne of God and of the Lamb, not thrones of God and throne of the Lamb, but throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and not their servants, but his. John was one this shore as the world. Not oneness, but denomination now, but real, real true oneness. His servants shall serve him. Oh, praise God. I love this verse 4. And they shall see his face. They shall see his face. And his name shall be in their foreheads. Praise God. How many wants to go? Until we get there, how many has a need that you'd like to be remembered tonight before the Lord? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we approach you tonight, Father, we are so thankful that we're on the King's Highway. This highway was not made by man. Man has tried to alter it. He's tried by his view but what he thinks to make it better. He's tried to widen it out. He's tried to implement this and change that, but it's perfect. It needs no alteration. All it needs is pilgrims walking by faith, keeping every command along the way that they find. Lord Jesus, as we look into your word tonight, we're asking for your help, Father. How we desire and long to walk into this blessed city, 
that we've read about tonight. I pray, Lord, that you'd give each of us strength for our journey. You saw the hundreds of hands that were uplifted in this place. Each of them, Lord, it was a need, a desire, a request, maybe spiritual, physical, financial, psychological, whatever it was. We bring them to you tonight, and we ask you to be mindful. I pray that you'd help me, Lord, as it's fallen my lot to try to speak on the Word of God. Help me, Lord Jesus, to be able to step aside. Take this portion of yourself that you've placed within me called a gift. Use it, Lord. Help the people to pull on it. Help me to surrender to it. Lord, we ask in the name of our blessed Savior, our King, our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. And the saints said, God bless you. You may be seated. Our new home. The gigantic gates of pearl were already hung and hinged, and the angels of God were waiting breathlessly for the inhabitants of the city to throng its streets. If it was that far along in 1965, I'm convinced that it is complete. Just waiting for the earthly counterpart to be finished to match the heavenly Jerusalem. As John moves from Revelation chapter 1 into chapter 22, and he is able by vision to move in into verse 1, and he sees a river of water of life, clear as crystal. No doubt he'd seen many rivers. He was born and raised, of course, near the Mediterranean. He had seen the Galilee. He had seen all kinds of rivers. He was in Jerusalem, of course, coming to the different festivals and things that were there. Saw the Pool of Siloam. Uh, just recently I read where the archaeologists have just uncovered under the Temple Mount and under the city of David the street that the Lord Jesus would have walked on coming from the pool of Siloam and they've dug under the ground there many, many feet and have found part of this original street. No doubt John, as a little boy, played up and down that street and he would see the people as the pool of Siloam 
was a place by which the Jews would come and wash their hands and their feet. And then they would go from there up to the house of God, the temple, to offer a sacrifice. And John had made that trip many, many times. And I imagine that he must have marveled as he broke into the heavenly vision and seeing that it was not so far different from the city that he was familiar with, yet there were so many things about it that was so different. But seeing similarities to the way that it was laid out, though John seeing not so much a pool, but seeing a river of the water of life. And seeing this river as it came from the very top of this pyramid-shaped city, as it trickled down through every house as it was shaped in this pyramidal form, coming down through the chasms and trickling down and working its way right down again so it could recirculate and come right back to the top again. Seeing the tree of life on either side of the street, and knowing, of course, that John, uh, being a prophet, had access by vision into the realm of God, that in the beginning, when God placed man in the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree which man was forbidden to partake of was the one that he partook of. The one that he was supposed to partake of was the one that he did not partake of. Isn't that the way with man? But now John does not see just one, but he actually sees this tree of life on either side of the river, and then the prophet comes and tells us that the tree of life was blooming in every yard. And he saw the river in the midst of the paradise of God. And he sees the tree. Notice John in verse 2. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life. Which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healings of the nations. So the river of life is set forth as it were to nourish the tree of life. Notice the words life. So the river of life and the tree of life and the city of life and the people of life. Now you'll notice that John designates a certain part of the tree for the inhabitants of those people who live outside the city, and that is the leaves. The leaves are for the healings or the apothecary of the therapeutic, is the actual Greek word, the therapeutic influence of the healings of the nation. So it would lead us to believe that the fruits of the tree are for the residents of the city and the leaves are for the folks on the outside who come in once a month or however frequently that they're allowed to come in. And oh, it reminds me of the election of God that as God is now building His pyramid-shaped elect body on the earth, that it is the seed of God, the ecclesia of God now, that are included in fruit-eating as they are on their journey even this very day. 
that we don't just have leaves which are fellowship but we are partaking right now of the fruits from the tree of life which is Christ. May I say to you tonight that the river and the tree is still in the midst of the paradise of God. We tonight are partaking of that, aren't you glad? Now here it is not said, no doubt Eden was a beautiful paradise, but we're led to believe by the description that Moses gave. There were no golden streets in the Garden of Eden. There were no jasper walls. There were no gates of pearl. But the original paradise of God was a garden alone. But the enhanced paradise of God will be a garden that is made to look like a beautiful city. Now, of course, you know that the original Jerusalem, when Solomon was able to build it, that God moved on the outside kings and they, they gave favor unto Solomon and they brought tons and tons of gold. So Solomon overlaid the temple. Solomon over also overlaid part of his house. And the, you imagine the Middle Eastern sun, for those of you that have been there, and you know the surrounding hills of Jerusalem. No matter which way you would come, you would always come up to Jerusalem. So whether you're coming from the Kidron Valley, whether you're coming from the Mount of Olives, or you're coming from the other hills around, you'll always come up and then go down and then back up to Jerusalem. So with that sun shining down and hitting the rays of the sun, hitting all of that gold, it must have been a beautiful sight to see. But yet here we're looking at something that's far beyond anything that has ever been. So we're looking at the beautiful magnificent magnificent colors of the 12 foundational colors of God which are laid on the outside. Most foundations as we've looked at before are laid in the ground but these foundations are way too pretty to be put in the ground. So God's going to allow them to be on the outside. Then the wall was set on top of the foundations, the wall being 216 feet tall. And then each of those gigantic gates of pearl was set up. So it will set up on that. And then the pyramidal shaped city will rise like this. Now remember, it's not an enclosed city, but it actually takes the pyramidal shaped form. And there will be houses and parks and gardens and residences all up and down this great city. 1,500 miles this way, that way, that way and that way and this way and it goes at such a degree that in your glorified body you will be walking up the angle of the, of the ascent and descent but you will barely feel now 60 degrees seems like a great steep angle for us but it's because we're in human bodies and we pant a lot when we climb something so steep but in a glorified body 60 degrees will not be bad at all it'll be very very light as a matter of fact you won't have no sweat glands in your body because you ain't going to need them so no Nobody will ever be laboring as far as laboring and working hard, building sweat. No, none of that will be there. So John is moved by vision now inside the city. And watch as John no doubt familiarizing himself with the story in the book of Genesis. And whenever he was there in the state of innocence, Adam and Eve, where God had placed him, the tree of life being there, also the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now we know, of course, they were giving in a parabolical form that it was not just action 
actual trees, but trees as a person, but it was tree by representation. So once Adam partook of the tree which he was forbidden to take up, then it places man across the chasm so there's no way for man to ever get back again to be able to partake of the tree of life until the justice of the sword of God has been sheathed in the heart of the Savior, the Lord Jesus. Now remember it was a flaming sword handled by the cherubim that turned every way north, south, east, and west in order to protect the way back to the tree of life. So man was put outside then where he could never get back again until the justice of God was met in one that would be able to bear that judgment, which was the Lord Jesus. Now Brother Ben says that he used to think that God hated him, but God, the Lord Jesus loved him. He said, until I found out they were the same person. Now he says, the Lord Jesus was the very heart of God. But the Old Testament concealed that heart of God. It could not be made manifest, or the Greek word phanereo, until the coming of the New New Covenant. So you can see why that it would have looked like in the Old Testament that God punished them and God corrected them. And for the most part, what you would see would be quite a bit of what it would look like judgment and anger. Because the very heart of God could not be displayed until the manifestation of the Lord Jesus which was the Logos going to be made flesh. So whenever man then partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil it put a gap between him and the tree of life. And then God puts the flaming swords there in the hands of the cherubims and they protect the way back to the tree of life lest man should eat of that tree and live forever. You can imagine living forever in a decaying moral body that's constantly getting older older, older, sicker and yet never able to die thank God for death is what I say but yet with this then man's responsibility is no way for him to ever get back so the only way back had to be in the hands of the one who gave the penalty in the beginning which of course is the almighty so it incurred by the knowledge of man partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil by doing so separating himself from the fellowship of God but notice again now as we come to this tree of life and we see this number that we have saw over and over again inside the heavenly city and that is the number 12. 12 being a foundational number of God. So we see then that there's going to be 12 manners of fruits on this tree. And they will change their fruit every 30 days. Now that is eternal days or is that days the way we know it? Well, I'm not sure. I I plan on experiencing that that day, don't you? Now man, once this has actually been brought back again to the justice of God and the tree of life became a person then that was able for God to be able to incarnate his own life in that person called the Son of God in order to bring the tree of life back to humanity. Now we know of course the tree of life there in heaven will represent abundant life as the water represents abundant life. Everything there will signify what God has already done now of course testifying of eternity. When man sinned in the garden and he put himself on the outside there's only 
one thing for God to do, and that is for God to step in himself. Aren't you glad? Notice in verse 3 now in Revelation 22, and there shall be no more curse. Now remember there was a time on the earth that there was no more curse. Now we know that that Satan and the angels actually fell before the foundation of the world. But there is no recorded place in the scripture where God actually cursed them when they fell. Did he? We don't know. But we know the first time curse was ever mentioned was of course in the Garden of Eden. There again when man partook of the knowledge of good and evil and then he brings upon himself as the serpent brings upon himself he brings upon himself this word called curse. I don't know about you, I don't like it. I do not like it. I was not meant to be cursed, yet I was born cursed. This earth was not meant to be cursed, and yet to this very day, it's still under the curse of God. But this is one thing that we've looked at in the paradise of God that John used in the form of negatives, and that is that he declared the things that would not be there. So there won't be no sorrow, won't be no pain, no crying. And here now John says it in this way, that there will be no more curse. So it takes us back, of course, to Genesis chapter 3. Now notice the Old Testament actually ends with God saying lest I come and smite the earth with a curse so the earth will no longer be cursed humans will no longer be cursed notice this in Genesis 3:14. and the Lord God said unto the serpent because thou hast done this thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life so here we find the first time the word is mentioned in the Bible. So here it is God placing a curse upon the serpent which has submitted his instrumentality to be used as a trick of the tool of the devil. And by doing that, remember he had a place for a soul, didn't have a soul, but he had enough about him to be able to surrender apparently. So God curses him. He takes his legs off, he goes down, and God said, dust you'll eat all the days of your life. Now God cannot curse his son Adam. But verse 17, and unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. Notice God does not turn to Adam and say, Adam, I curse you. You are cursed. No, God can't do that to a son. But notice what he does. He curses the ground for Adam's sake. Now we know the earth bears the image deep in its, in its heart many, many times that God has plagued the earth and sent judgment upon the earth because of man's fallen, unregenerate nature. And here is the beginning as far as be, dealing with man. We know the cataclysmic change that came upon the earth, of course, in Genesis 1 into chapter 2. But now this is the first time that God has affected the surface of the earth whenever man did something himself. Several times thereafter will come again. But now the earth is bearing in its image the very fall of the human race. So God said, cursed is the ground for your sake. Oh my. Notice he said, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Now he's not going to curse the man, but he will multiply the man's labor. In the garden of Eden, the man never raised a sweat. You imagine God tells him, dress the garden and keep it. He just kind of walk around, you know, just do a little bit, do a little bit there and do a little bit over here. Never got all wore out. It was absolutely eternal retirement. 
That's what it was. I mean, he just hung around the Garden of Eden, fellowship with God and fellowship with angels, and just named everything and just carried on like a son of God would do. He never got tired. He never got worn out. He never got a headache. Never got a backache. Never got frustrated. Never got aggravated. Boy, that sounds like heaven to me. And yet here he was in this type of a setting. He's still God's son. Listen to me, friends. He was still the son of God after he fell. The fall did not make Adam serpent seed. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say something. Neither did the fall make you serpent seed either. As far as your DNA, you was the seed of God before the foundation of the world. You was the seed of God way before you was ever a mortal. Amen. Just because you wound up in this old body and you wound up what we call lost, sure you was lost. Absolutely. But you were lost like the coin. Amen. That the woman lost inside of her house. And what did she do? She went looking for that coin. And what did she find when she found that coin? She did not find a goat that had to be printed into a coin. But she found a coin that was lost. That had the image and the superscription of the king on it. Even what it was lost it had the claim all praise God hallelujah even when you was out there in a world of darkness you had representation in heaven and when the light of God crossed your path it burst you into the word of God for the hour other people heard it laughed at it made fun of it but it gave you a new birth you remember the prophet telling us about a man that come up to him he was at a shopping center brother Branham was and a man comes up to him from Georgia and he, he, he introduces himself, says he's going to be there in the meeting tomorrow. And he said, sir, I'm going to tell you. He said, I'm as lost as a lost can be. He said, I'm lost as a coin in a sand pile. And the prophet said, but you don't have to stay that way. Oh, don't you love that? You know what I love about that story is that coin in the sand pile, that coin had a stamped image on it. Praise be to God. You know what that man done? He knelt down right there in the shopping center parking lot and gave his heart to the Lord Jesus. Brother Branham said he walked up a dead man and walked away alive. Praise be to God. He walked up dead in trespasses and sin and he walked away found by the presence of God. Oh, my brother, sister, the same thing happened to you if you're sitting here tonight and you're born again. Praise God. Amen. God cannot curse his own. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. That something inside of you is not you. It's not from your mama. It's not from your daddy. It is from himself. You you might get weary, you might get tired, you might get frustrated, but he cannot deny himself. Oh my. Hallelujah. Cursed is the ground for thy sake and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. But in Genesis 4.11, we find the first time that God curses a human. Well, mongrel, maybe I should say. (laughs) Speaking to Cain, and now thou art cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. But there'll be no curse there. Or here, I should say. 
there is here and here is there because they're coming together. Why? There'll be no murderers there. Now what's amazing is there'll be people that'll walk down them streets of gold that in their former life murdered. But it's never been remembered against them there. Paul murdered, right? All kinds of people that God has saved and God forgave them. They've done all types of horrible sin. But that thing is so far from them, it'll never be remembered against them. Cannot even come into the mind of God. You see, the curse then, after God has pronounced it, curse has fallen on cities. Curses has fallen on civilizations. How many ancient civilizations have lived upon the earth? Look in the desert southwest at the Anasazi. Look at the different ones in Brazil, rather in Peru, South America, and the Mediterranean. All different parts of the earth. And here's this, this civilization that lived so many thousand years ago. And all of a sudden they just disappear and there's no trace of them left. And the judgment of God falling upon civilizations and cities and God cursing them. What happened to the Philistines, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites? The curse of God came upon them and God annihilated them. So the curse actually was given upon Adam. It's come upon civilizations. It's come upon societies. It's come upon cities. It's come upon nations. I'll tell you, friend, our nation is cursed with a curse. Come on, Americans, say amen. That's exactly right. She's honeycombed. My, my. Over 10,000 earthquakes have happened since the Lake Ridge earthquake happened here just a few weeks ago. Over 10,000 earthquakes. It's all rumbling together. It's all getting together. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Let them ridicule. Let them mock and make fun. But the word of the Lord never fails. My, my, notice this, Isaiah 43, 28, Therefore I have profaned the princes of the sanctuary and have given Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. Can you imagine God giving Jacob to the curse? There was never a people that was so blessed as the Jews were until they got away from the program of God. Then, brother, when they got away from the program of God, God scattered them to the east, the west, the north, and the south. And so will he do to us. We've been given great privileges in this evening time. And when we get away from it, we will pay. And Happy Valley said, Amen. Notice Jeremiah 42, 18. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as mine anger and my fury hath been poured forth upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so shall my fury pour forth upon you. When you shall enter into Egypt and you shall be an execration and an astonishment and a curse and a reproach and you shall see this place no more. Oh, what the curse of God has done to humanity. You think God loves to do this? You think God wants to curse civilization? You think God wants to curse people? No, God doesn't want to do that. It's man that does it. Notice in Daniel 9, 11, Yea, and all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us. And the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. Malachi 3, 9, Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, 
Even this whole nation. And God said, unless I send Elijah, in the last days I'll curse the earth. Praise God. You know what delivered you from the curse of the hour? The message of Malachi 4. Let people laugh at it all they want to. Amen. Malachi 3.12 And all nations shall call you blessed for you shall be a delightsome land saith the Lord of hosts. Oh glory. That's what we choose. Notice the very same prophet that said you'll be a curse also said there's going to be a people that's going to be a delightsome land. Right in the middle of the curse. Right in the middle of darkness when churches is having to bring Starbucks into their churches to keep the people alive. And they're having to bring in circuses and pony rides and this and that and the other. Get the old fashioned gospel in this preaching brother. It'll bring the real elect. But you'll not bring Laodicea by the gospel. They don't want the truth. They want a soft soap watered down gospel that'll let them live any way they can live and do what they want to do. Let the people of God say, give me the truth. Give me the truth for you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Think about it. One of the great portions of the descendants of the human race were cursed by God. Genesis 9, 24, and Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, cursed be Canaan. Canaan wasn't even the one who did it. It was his father, Ham. Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. How awful! Has this curse been served down through the centuries that man has made slaves? Remember, God never made slaves. Man did. But notice this curse. Oh, how God longs for the time when the curse will be lifted. But a just God cannot do like we do. Well, I like like it ain't there. Oh, no, that's okay. I'll just turn my head. No, he can't do that. The cause of the curse must be healed. The the intervention of man into the divine providential program of God must be taken care of. How can God ever do it? He must sheathe his sword into the very heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh my. Notice. All flesh being born after the fall. Notice this in Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law. To do the, that puts every human being under the curse. The natural part. The human element. A solemn curse uttered against those who add to the word. Galatians 1 7. Whether it is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven preaching the other gospel unto you, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you, then you have received. Let him be accursed. Right on up under grace, my brother, sister. Oh my. Then in the end time and the judgment, Matthew 25, 41. 
Lord God, the lost get the irrevocable, irreversible curse of God to the regions of the damned. Then shall he also say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed human beings that are cursed by God. Cursed by the almighty God. Oh, it's one thing most of us probably been cursed by people and called all kinds of names. Oh, that, that might hurt your feelings, but it can't really do a whole lot to you. But when God, when God curses you and places the curse where it cannot be revoked, it can never be reversed. Can you imagine even the powerful blood of the Lord Jesus cannot revoke this curse? Why these people have rejected it. Lord God, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire prepared not for you but for the devil and his angels so how is it thousands of years of curse how can God ever revoke how can God ever ever take care of the curse and remove it from the earth how can God make the, the civilizations on the earth ever live under divine sovereignty of a king and they will not hate one another? How can God ever lift it from the earth where the earth will come back to its genuine productivity? How will it ever get back up from its tilt on its axis again? One must become a curse who was not cursed. Glory be to God. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So the beloved one, the precious one, the righteous one, the only one, Brother Jack, that it could be had to become a curse for us. So he takes all of our curse. If it was not for the grace of God, we would be in that group that would be cursed and damned and lost. But praise be to God. We were in his sinking before the world began. But God still had to get us across the chasm. We were his thoughts. We were his children. But we were still lost. So out of the eternal comes this frame of the word called the Logos. It was a condescension of the eternal, yet attributes of the eternal, but a part of him which could die. A part of him which would later be manifested in human flesh. You can't kill the Almighty. The eternal cannot be cursed. So out of his heart issued what is called the Son of God. Praise be to God, but in heaven today he suffers no more curse. Praise the Lord Jesus. And may I say by the grace of God, neither do we redeemed ones. 
Now, our bodies are still under the curse. You do understand that, right? This is how the elect of God can get sick and will die unless the rapture takes place. Why? Because our bodies, our mortality, our earth is still under the identity of our mother. Our mother is the earth, but our father is God. Our father is the eternal, and we have been released from the curse. We are no more cursed. Praise be to God. That's why we're too blessed to be stressed. Well, praise the Lord. We've got too much going for us to ever get so low that we can't raise back up again. We may get down, but we won't stay down. We may get blue, but it won't last long. We may shed some tears, but joy will come in the morning because we are the people of God. And John said, there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. You imagine a time when the eternal, praise God, will be on the top of this great city, on top of Mount Zion, on top of the world, on top of the church. And here will set our Lord Jesus, the flesh of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Notice what John says. And his servants shall serve him. Do you think eternity is going to be experienced with us just sitting around twiddling our sons, playing music all the time? We're going to serve him. What's it going to be? It's going to be an eternal kingdom. It will be the government of the great king. We will be doing things, going places. The prophet said it will be a continuation of this same life. Praise God. Where did this idea come from? Everybody floating around on a cloud playing a harp. Well, it's certainly in the Bible. The person being served is who? The Almighty. We are His servant. Well, Brother Donnie, what are we going to do? Are we going to labor and do this? No, we are in His kingdom. The great King is going to have an eternal kingdom with millions times millions times millions of inhabitants that will be in the city and the nations on the outlying providence of it and those that live outside of that, maybe even billions of people living on this glorified earth, them living in glorified bodies, praise God, nobody getting sick, nobody getting tired, nobody getting weary. What is our position of service? Ruling and reigning with the king. We come into that in the seventh day in the millennium. We're reigning now over sin. Right? We're reigning now over sin. In the millennium we actually move upon thrones. From there we move into the eighth day. And we will continue on under the headship of our Lord forever and forever and forever. Praise God. I saw a church sign today that said the heavenly forecast is R-E-I-G-N, rain forever. 
That's the heavenly forecast. I thought that was pretty good, Brother Mark. Pretty good forecast right there. You don't need no clouds, no thunderheads, no lightning bolts. We're going to rain forever. Notice, oh my, let's go a little farther. In verse 4. And they shall see his face. Genesis 32, 30. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Now, unlike mine and your face, God's face is identified with His glory, His personage. It's the revelation of Himself because God is not a man, God is a spirit. Actually, he is invisible. Right? Now, whenever Jacob actually found this man, and of course it was an appearance of God, but it was not the literal eternal, but a manifestation of God in an attribute in a body of time, and he calls it God. Remember Manoah and his wife, whenever the angel of the Lord comes down and tells them about Samson. And Manoah offers a sacrifice there. And the scripture said that the angel did wondrously in the fire. And Manoah spoke to his wife and said, well, we're going to die. We're surely going to die because we have seen God face to face. Now, of course, the Hebrews, when they would see a manifestation like this, they would call it God. And it was God. But yet it was not the person of God that's going to be revealed in the New Testament. So God could appear in a bush. He could appear in a cloud. He could appear in an angelic form, a theophanic appearance. But yet it was not the very person of God in a remaining tangible body or a bodily form. You understand that? So here Jacob was wrestling with what he called a man. And you ain't going to tell Jacob that it didn't hurt. You ain't going to tell Jacob that he didn't put the hurt on him because he come out there limping. He went in there a pretty good feller and he walked out there dragging that leg. So don't tell him it was just spiritual. He suffered the rest of his life with that spiritual man. So it was a natural man and it was a strong man, right? But yet Jacob says, I have seen God. So the word your God actually is Elohim. So it was that part of God that allowed himself to condescend to human beings. So human beings would be able to touch him, wrestle with him as it was. But yet this is not what John is talking about in the city. Now there his, his people will see his face. So we're not talking about the Shekinah glory of God. But but it will actually be the face of God. Remember Moses wanted to see God's glory in Exodus 33, 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So now here God is going to manifest his name or face, which is the word ponium in the Hebrew. So he's going to manifest his ponium, which is his presence to Moses. Moses, I don't want to see your glory. God said, nope, nope, you can't see my face. Well, Moses said, well, I didn't ask to see your face. He said, yes, you did. You asked to see my glory. You have to pay attention to what God says. Now, God, Moses said, I want to see your glory. And God said, you can't see my face. 
So apparently when Moses said face, he meant more than this right here. He wanted to see the person of God because he knew God had revealed himself to him in two or three different forms and he knew God was not a multi-person being. But he knew God was changing himself. Everybody with me? God was changing himself. So he said, I don't want to see that actor's coat. I don't want to see that skin. You're, you're changing on me. You're changing from this to that to the other. I want to see you. Oh, glory. I want to see you, Lord. He said, and God said, no, you can't see my face. Now, notice an answer to this, how God says, and I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now, that is the expression of the name of the Lord. You see, the Hebrew word, whenever they would have their children and they might name a child, you know, after the birth pains of the mother or or child births him after something that was going on, the constellation. And then sometimes later they would rename that child child because it's all traits and characteristics in the child that felt like he deserved a renaming. So to them, it was not that they got on Google and found babies' names, and they went down to their modern girls' names and modern boys' names. But they wanted to pick a name that would identify the traits of this child. Well, that's because the origination of the word, face or name, because it was something that displayed who and what you were. Now, God said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come down, and I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to put my hand over it and when I pass by I'm going to move my hand and then I'll go to proclaiming my name or face Shachanah. my my ponium I will let you see my face but when he looked around he saw the back parts of a man y'all looking at my face funny now notice verse 20 and he said thou canst not see he didn't ask to see his face Oh, but he did. And there shall no man see me and live. Imagine how blessed you are. You're going to be able to see him. (laughs) Notice in verse 21. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. And thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass... Wow, my glory pass by that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock and will cover thee with my hand and I will pass by and I will take away my hand and thou shalt see my back parts but my face shall not be seen. Notice in chapter 34 verse 5 And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So here the Lord comes down in a cloud and the Lord is proclaiming the name of the Lord. He's showing Moses his glory which is revealed in his name which is his traits. And the Lord said, oh my. He said, I'm going to put you here in this place. There's a place by me. Notice, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God. Merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. What's he doing to Moses? Proclaiming the name of the Lord. Imagine the Lord saying his name. The Lord. The Lord God. 
merciful and gracious, long-suffering. What are these attributes? They are the identification of his name. Here is the mystery of his face. What's he doing? He's telling of the coming one from his heart. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is forgiving. The Lord, he's unveiling his heart. Moses, you want to see my face? I'm going to show you my heart. Gracious and long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. What's this got to do with the glory of God? This is the glory of God. Why didn't he say making trillions of stars and making billions of galaxies and making dust and flies and bumblebees and all? Why didn't God say all that? Because his greatest expression is dealing with humanity. He made a bumblebee, he lives his life and he dies. He reproduces and another generation comes, they live their lives and fly around. Scientists say they can't fly, but nobody's told them yet, so they keep on flying. So they just live their life and they die. Butterflies do the same thing, the course of life, and they don't cause God any problems. It's not the horse, the cow, the duck, the goose, thing, that sort of thing. It is man. It is man that causes the problems. But God turns it right around and says, since man is the biggest problem maker, I'm going to perform miracles in their life and I'm going to make them the greatest glory maker that I've ever dealt with I'm going to transform them I'm going to change them I'm going to give them a new birth praise God I'm going to miraculously change them and I'm going to build a city for them and I'm going to make them the matching counterpart on the earth right in the middle of hell I'm going to finish my bride and I'm going to hold her up right up before the devil and say looky there devil here is a people in the middle of hell that you thought you'd destroy but you can't do it And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, the Lord Adonai, the Lord God, Adonai Elohim, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundance and goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin that will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting then here's God talking about himself. What's he doing bringing in the sins of men? Talking about himself. Now if you was going to brag on yourself, would you use these terms? Oh, I'll tell you one thing. I started out down the hills of Arkansas. I had me a grub and hoe and a and a shovel, and I went out there and got to cutting out cotton, and I bought me an acre of ground, and I done this, and I done that, and the other. But God says, I'm gracious. I'm long-suffering, forgiving thousands. I said, God, won't you tell us how big you are? I said, I just did. By no means will clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. I 
find it so amazing that when Moses hears about the grace of God, it makes him worship. It makes Laodiceans drunk. Instead of them worshiping, they think they can just sin a little bit more. Because God's so merciful, God's so kind, God's going to forgive them, so they just go ahead and do whatever they want to do. You're not hearing it right. It humbled Moses to hear that Almighty God was this way. It ought to humble us tonight. Oh, my. Notice John now, the, the writer of, of the book of Revelation and his epistle in St. John chapter 1, verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. So what did Jacob see? Well, it wasn't this. What did Manoah see? It wasn't this. Now watch, John's fixing to unfold Christ the mystery. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared Him. The heart of God walked out in the New Testament. Who was it? God. Some saw a man, others saw God. Well, praise the Lord. Well, let me bring it on down. Now, that's the work of the mystery of God. Brings it on down to where it brings come right back to us and the new births. If you're truly born again, if you've got real ability and can discern, you're able to see God in men again. Now, notice how John goes into this that he said he was in the bosom of the Father and he hath declared him. So now here is a manifestation of God that is going to make God's character known in a way. Now, actually, these words, they're tremendous, tremendous words and the way that John wrote this here. It is, it is the interpreter of God. No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father hath interpreted God or declared. Oh, here is the fleshly interpretation of what was hidden in God before the foundation of the world. Christ, the mystery of God revealed. So Jesus was the mystery of God revealed. Amen. So what is the bride? The bride is the mystery of Christ revealed. This is what God wants us to be. So the mystery continues to unfold. And what are we going back to? To see his face. And his name will be in our foreheads. Whew. Brother Bram says, I used to think that God was angry with me, but Christ loved me. And I come to found out that Christ is the very heart of God. He is God's heart. Jesus Christ is God's heart. So the prophets in the Old Testament was the justice of God. But Jesus was the heart of God. Again, the first seal, he said, you never know just what God was until he revealed himself through Christ. Then you can see. I used to think years ago that maybe God was angry with me, but Christ loved me to come to find out it's the same person, see? And Christ is the very heart of God. Even to this very day, it becomes a stumbling block to so many people that say they 
they embraced Christianity. But it was the very heart of God, Fanriel manifested, of the, the very love of God that could be projected because now the sword of God is going to be immersed where? In the very heart of his justice. And here he who hung upon a tree that became a curse for us, the very sword of God has been sheathed because it has been dipped in the blood of the atonement. And the atonement was what? None other than that Lord God which condescended in a lower form of creation which could die. The eternal could not die. The Logos could not die. But it was an attribute of that Father God that projected or created a body on the earth and said let this die in the stead for the rest of my family. Amen. No wonder Paul said he's not ashamed to call you brothers. Can I have a few more minutes before we close? 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who has commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.14 In whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sin who is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of every creature 1 Timothy 1.17 Now unto the king eternal, immortal invisible the only wise God be honor and glory forever and the heart of God said this Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Stand. Praise God. So you're just walking down the streets of gold. You've been there, if we would count time, 3.3 trillion years. And all of a sudden you hear the trumpet. You've been there long enough to know you know what that means. Our Joseph, the Lord Jesus, rises from the throne. He walks out of that Shekinah. And here he comes down among his people. Praise God. There you are, the inhabitants of the city. He is the center of everything you are in that city. You look at the tree of life, you think of him. You look at the water of life, you think of him. You look at the walls, you think of him and his provision that he provided for you, even when you were a mortal. I don't know exactly how it will be. Maybe just the faint touch of reality that we existed in mortality. Maybe that which was good, that which was lovely, that which was godly. Reminiscing that which he, by his sovereign grace, did for us. Everywhere we look in that city, it's a facet of His grace and His mercy. Praise God. We're not going anywhere. We're not tired of being there. 
Nobody is bored. Nobody's looking for video games because there won't be none there. Won't be no television there. Won't be no pool halls. Won't be no, you know, things like that of this world. There won't even be things to occupy your time to where you'll be bored. We will never be bored. Can you imagine? Our Father is so great. And it's so extensive in His nature. It will take eternity to reveal all there is to know about Him. But Brother Donnie, what are we going to do? Have church every day, all day. Now, if you can imagine the best of church you've ever been in, except take all the correction out. Wow, that sounds like a good church meeting. I mean, right now, we're, we're so you know, humanized that we still have to have so much, so much correction and all that, don't we? Mixed up in all the good, deep, wonderful things of God. But can you imagine sitting there, hearing the face of God, the heart of God, as He interprets Himself to us? With no, Brother Harvey, quit thinking that. Now, Brother Keith, you need to make that right. Now, Brother Terry, you've got this attitude. Now, cut that out, boy. There'll be none of that there. It'll all be good. It'll all be wonderful. It'll all be the splendor of God. Nobody, where the hell are you going? How many more pages you got on that iPad? I ain't going to tell you. We're not going anywhere. We've been there for millions of years if we would count time. And the very heart of God, we're just worshiping and loving and adoring Drinking from the fountain, praise God, eating the fruits from the trees. And Jesus is the next door neighbor to each of us. Praise God. Praise God. And His mark will be in our foreheads. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus. Some may hear this and think, oh, that's just an old man's dream. That's just people that are dependent on religion and they don't know the fun things of life. No, we see the reality. Satan's can offer pleasure in sin, we know that. But it always turns. His pleasure only lasts for a while. And then there's penalties to pay. Lord Jesus, we have our hope tonight built on nothing less than your great atonement. We don't stand here tonight on what we are as far as ourselves. Our goodness would be as filthy rags. We want to thank you tonight for becoming a curse for us. You took the curse of the law upon yourself and become that curse. The scapegoat that was led outside the city, which Moses and the children of Israel did in type, as the transfer of the people's sins was placed upon it. And you were led out, as it were, beyond their camp, even out of the presence of God and the presence of the angels. The angels hid their faces. Oh, my 10,000 angels cried. Oh, Lord God, 
The father couldn't even look at it as he were, turned his back, saying it like humans would relate to it. Because God cannot look upon sin. You hung there to die alone. The anointing left you in the garden of Gethsemane. We know the word Gethsemane means the place of the olive press. So there you were pressed out and pressed out and pressed out. We know the first press of oil was the purest, the finest. It was that which was used to light the menorah in the temple of God. Lord Jesus, you had to be pressed under great stress and pressure to release the oil of God, the Holy Ghost, to come back on the day of Pentecost. We're so thankful, Father, it's still coming back in this day, 2,000 years later, and that oil is still falling around the world. If there's some here tonight, Father, that have not received that filling, may they receive it in their menorah. Praise God. May they have more than just their wick dipped in the oil. May their lamp be filled and trimmed and burning. Grant it, Lord Jesus. Maybe there's some here tonight, Father, that's been filled. But the pleasures of life and the things of life have just drained them, Lord. And they just feel so exhausted. Would you come by this way, Lord, with that refilling vessel in your hand? Oh, God. May there be a refilling that will happen here in this place tonight, Lord. Thank you, Father, that we can stand here tonight and say we, as the people of God, have been redeemed from the curse. Praise the Lord Jesus. And we're going to a city where the Lamb is the light, where there will be no curse upon any mortal, Upon any nation, upon the earth again. The fertility of the soil of the earth will be released. She will stand back up. Amen. Not tilted on her axis. Praise God. The sun will be seven times brighter. And the moon will be as that of the sun. Lord Jesus, we long for that day, Father. Help us that nothing will stop us, Lord. If there's anyone here tonight, Father, that don't know you, may you move on their hearts, Jesus. Anyone that will hear this service, Father, any that needs a renewing, a refreshing, just manifest yourself among us, O heart of God. We do not want to know the wrath of God, the justice of God. I plead for God's heart. I plead for God's heart, God's face, God's heart. Praise God. It's so amazing, Lord, that when the heart of God come in the New Testament, John introduced him as a lover. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. So the heart of God was on the earth. What's he looking for? A bride. Oh, the prophet said he's looking, searching for cold, starchy hearts that he can make love to, that he can coo, 
and we come back. It's the Father wanting to make this revelation known to us. But we got so many things going in our lives. Forgive us, Jesus. Coo to us tonight, Lord. We'll answer back. Praise God. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Can we just raise our hands in his presence, saints? Don't you want to know the heart of God tonight in a deeper way? Many of you know him. Oh, you've been touched by his heart. But how many would say with me, you want to know him in a greater way? I have to preach the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the justice of God. I have to. I'm a preacher. I have to preach the full gospel. But I don't mind telling you, I'd much rather preach his face. I'd much rather preach his heart than I would his wrath. Wouldn't you rather hear it? Wouldn't you rather hear about the heart of God? After all, that's what got your attention. I feel sorry for folks who live under the bondage of being a Christian. And they live, Brother Philip, under that bondage of the wrath of God. The justice of God. They're scared to death. Let me just be honest with you, friends. I served God for many years of my life under Pentecost. Even as a preacher. You know what I served it under? The fear of God. The justice of God. You know, when I was introduced to the heart of God, when I heard this end time message. It changed the way I looked at Him. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Anybody experienced that besides me? You know what I'm talking about then. It does something to you. It does something about God and, and the way that God is revealed to you. And the way that He wants you to see Him. What is it? It's His heart. It's His heart connected with His face. Praise God. Let's just sing something together. Can we just worship Him just a little bit? Oh, praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Can we just for a few moments? The sword of God has been sheathed, but it was not sheathed air. It was dipped in the blood of the Lord Jesus. Let's just with our hearts, our hands. Moses bowed his head in worship. If you want to bow yours, that's fine. But let's through our expression tonight. As the very heart of God is in this place, let's worship Him and love Him. Let Him minister to us through the love channels. Brother Brenham said, I was down at Brother Charlie Cox's the other day, and he said there was two turtle doves sitting upon the wires, and they were cooing and making love to each other, he said. They was taking their necks and just kind of going around each other. And he said, I thought about God. How that God is a lover. Praise God. God is a lover. Is there anybody here tonight that allow God to be the lover of your life? Or you say, you say well, I, I, is that the way, what he wants? Right. That's what Satan wants too. You're going to love one or the other. You're going to love God or the devil. Why don't you let God be the lover of your life? Let's just spend a little bit of time with him now. Not you before he's thrown now, scared to death and petrified because of your mistakes. But you in the arms of your lover. And him in your arms. Oh, blessed be the Lord. Right now I don't feel like English is good enough to express what I feel. <laughs> Whoo! Blessed be the Lord God.
Adonai. Lord Jesus. Sing something, Harry. Light of the world. Lord Jesus. You came down into Lord dark. Jesus, I bless you. Open my, my eyes. Worship. Let me see. Thank you that you took the shield and the sword. The wrath and justice of God. This heart adore you. And you gave us your heart, Lord Jesus.
Jesus. Blessed Lord Jesus. Oh God, we worship you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. To the heart of worship, it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, oh, it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's a word that will bless your heart. Hallelujah. I'll bring you more than a song. I'll bring you my heart. What a song is. Hallelujah. Here's not what you have required. Oh, let's make love to him, children. You search much deeper within from the way things appear. Thank you. 
praying for the service in the morning. Look forward to what the Lord will have for us again in the morning. Just want to be closer to Him. Amen. I love these services when you just, that's all you, when you leave here, that's all you want. Just a closer walk with you, Lord. Let's just sing that Jesus Draw Me Close as you go tonight. Oh, Jesus, draw me close. Closer, Lord. 